I turned it on, so sorry about that. <laughs> My name is Rich McKinley. I'm the executive pastor here at MCC, and I'm so thankful that you're here to be with us this morning. Thanks for joining us online as well. <clears throat> Maybe one of the things that you're thankful for this, this morning is we're finally finishing up the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in it for a long time, so we're getting ready to wrap it up, and we're going to go through that today as we uh, look at... The title of my message, has anybody seen it? The Heart of Generosity. It's Thanksgiving, you know, so it kind of ties in there. But I'll, I'll tell you at the front side of the thing, nobody's coming for your wallet. Okay, everybody relax. We're not going to do that kind of stuff. We're talking about the heart behind the person, the, the, the how and the why. We're going to talk more about the why this morning as we finish up. 1 Corinthians. It's interesting, as I was studying, getting ready for the message, uh, a lot of the commentators, you know how they'll, they'll get into the, the text and they'll, this section is this theme and this section is that theme, and, and s- chapter 16 didn't even have a section. It was just kind of like, <laughs> like the equivalent of the credits. <laughs> you know, they just roll it at the end and it's not really about anything important, but we're just going to put it there so you meet the, the, the people that were involved. But there's a lot of great meat left in that last chapter. And so we're going to spend some time this morning unpacking that. Before we get started, I want to pray with you, and then we'll jump in. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that, uh, Lord, you uh, have called us to something specific, and that you have uh, given us the tools to understand what you've called us to, that you've given us your spirit so that we would be able to uh, have wisdom and discernment and strength. And so, God, we pray right now that you bless our time in your word, that uh, you would change our minds and make us more like Jesus. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen. So we're going to do it kind of weird because I'm doing it, and you're probably used to that. So we're going to go through some of the text. We're going to stop and go back. Uh, to a, a middle piece. It'll make sense as we go, so we're just going to dive right in. Uh, if you start at the beginning of chapter 16, it reads in verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of, of every week, each of you is to put aside, uh, is to put something aside and store it up uh, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go along also, they will accompany me. So those first four verses, um, Paul is uh, talking about something that um, preachers have kind of gotten wrong over the years because they really weren't paying attention to the text. They use this as a pretext for uh, talking about tithing on the first Sunday of the week and blah, blah, blah. And that's not what it's talking about, right? Um, It's talking about, on top of what they're doing, he's talking about this act of generosity that doesn't have anything to do with the ongoing work of the church there in Corinth. This is doing its thing. It's achieving what it's supposed to be doing and we have fellow believers in Jerusalem who are living under persecution. Some of them were living in hiding, had to get, get out of their home and their resources, and they were just dependent on the people that were around them. And so 
as fellow brothers and sisters, they were sending up some, uh, saving up some money to go and help their physical needs. And so as we're talking about the heart of generosity, that's kind of where Paul is leading into this passage of Scripture. Um, we're going to do a thing that's going to be kind, and we're going to solve a problem for people that you, you, may, you probably don't know and you, you may never meet. We're going to do something to meet their need. Uh, it, to, to put it into scale, kind of like what we're doing with our Christmas offering. You, you guys that have been here for a, a minute, you know that usually uh, we take up a Christmas offering beyond what we take up for tithes and offerings and to do the work of the church and all that kind of stuff. And we usually aim it at kids. And we're doing that this year with the launch of uh, LifeWise Academy that's uh, looking for a, a launch date uh, here in Miamisburg to teach school kids Bible. And so you know, we want to be a part of that. Amen? So we're going to do something on, on top of what we normally do, and we're going to direct it at this special need. And that's what Paul was telling the church at Corinth. Hey, one of the ways that you're going to look like God is you're going to be concerned with the needs of other people. You may not know them, but here's what the need is, and here's how we can be a part of this cool thing that God is doing. Verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps stay over or stay with you uh, or even spend uh, the winter so that you might help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door uh, for effective work has opened for me and there are many adversaries." So in the first few verses, Paul is talking about reflecting the nature of God in a generous way by serving people that you may never see. Uh, now he's talking about personal needs, sharing with this church that he knows and loves what his plans are. This is kind of a cool insight to the ministry. Like if you ever looked in the back of your Bible and it's got the missionary journeys of Paul, well, this is some of the ways that how they figured out he was here and then he went there because he told them in his letters. This is what's going on. And in this particular little chunk of Scripture, what's the generous part of that one? They want, they want him to come up with traveling expenses? Well, he really doesn't specifically ask for that. It's kind of implied. But I think the heart of generosity that you see in this text is Paul saying, I've got work to do. It's, it's dangerous work, but it's being opened up and it's effective. There's lots of adversaries, but I need to strike while this door is open and do what I can do. And I don't want to just buzz through and go, hey, you, it's great to see you, love you, miss you, got to go, and out the door. What, what, what's generous? Paul said, you, you mean more to me than that. You're, you're not just a passing acquaintance. I want to come when I can spend time with you because I love you. And so I want to hear your stories. Now, he didn't say all of that, but we can imply from what's going on that Paul wanted the relationship to be nurtured and invested in. That's a generous thing to do, giving somebody the gift of your time. And so as we start to look at what is God calling us to do, does he want us to be involved 
in the lives of other people. Sure, you have been a part of doing some things that you will likely never see. We put um, a well in a place in Kenya. Um, there's a handful of us that are, have been there, but most of you probably will live your whole life and never go to Kew, Kenya, south of Nairobi. But your love and legacy lives on because that pump station and the solar panels is providing clean drinking water for five communities. Yeah, you did that. He also said, give the gift of your time. Invest in people. One of the things we talk about here is making disciples who make disciples. That takes time. That means I might miss Monday night football because I gotta go hang out with somebody, or maybe you bring them to Monday night football and figure out how to way to disciple the guy while you're watching halftime. I don't know, but it's going to cost you some time to pour into other people. And the the model that Paul is sharing is don't be settled or don't settle for just a hey howdy. Make the time, work for the time, find, carve it out so that you can spend it and invest in the lives of other people. Verse 10, he goes on and talks about Timothy. Timothy, somebody he describes as my true son in the, in the, in the Lord. Uh, verse 10, it says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him or look down on him. We're going to come back to that. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So there's this generosity that you offer to people that you probably will never see. You're going to do something. It's going to represent a sacrifice because you're going to build up for it and, and, and do it to meet a need. There's this giving of yourself to others, that it's an investment, a one-on-one -on -one kind of a thing, or maybe your family and their family, that you're going to get to know and have the conversations and just love each other. And then there's some specifics. There's some people that, that have needs, or they're doing a great work. Timothy, he, he says, uh, for he is doing the Lord's work as I am. This is the Apostle Paul. Everybody knows who he is. And they're saying this, this Timothy that he wrote to Timothy, and he says, let no one look down on you because you're young. That's the same one that he trained, let no one despise you or look down on him. He's trying to help the church. Hey, this young kid is killing it. He's doing the good work. Show him the respect of a servant of God and listen to him. Just because he's young doesn't mean he hasn't got things figured out and he isn't worth listening to. And so Paul is wanting to protect Timothy, not just for Timothy's sake to keep him in ministry, but for the church's sake to that they would be able to hear him do effective work. And now uh, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with our brothers, but it was not, uh, it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Remember the beginnings of Acts? I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. So it was one of the favorite preachers from days gone by. And um, Paul was still showing, hey, this guy's still connected. He still cares about you too. And he's going to come when he can get to it. This is like Paul going to be in Ephesus. The time has opened up for him. Apollos is kind of dealing with that same situation. You haven't been forgotten about. The people who love you are investing in you as well. 
And then verse 13, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. The, the language is different. The, the flow is different because it's really 1 through uh, 12 is kind of the touchy-feely things about how to care for each other and do for each other and all this kind of stuff. And then verse 13, we're going to come back to this, but it says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you uh, do be done in love. That was kind of, you could almost hear the gears grinding as you shifted into that. And then he goes back out into some other touchy-feely kind of stuff he talks about in verse 15. Uh, now, I urge you, brothers, uh, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves uh, to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. Paul is encouraging them. So it's the, the church in Jerusalem. We, we may never see them. It's the stuff that uh, happens when you invest in relationships. It's, it's specific people that you're going to talk to and care for and maintain those relationships. All of those things are generous gifts uh, from yourself, your resources, your time, and all this. Uh, and now he's talking about the, the mission, the, the work of the church. The household of Stephanus, they were people who were committed to the mission. They decided to follow Jesus and they wanted to serve the church. And these, this is the words of, of Paul, be subject to such as these and every fellow worker and laborer. In other words, give them your ear. Listen to what they have to say. Does that mean to drink the Kool-Aid and never question them? No, we've already crossed that. Remember, be like a Berean. Check out and make sure that the stuff people are teaching you is, is, is consistent with God's word. But give them an ear. Hear what they have to say. They may have advice or suggestions that they have come to from uh, prayer. And it, just don't fly off the handle. Listen to what people have to say. And he says in verse 17, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. I think it's cool. He's continuing the idea of let the people who are leading you lead you. Submit to their leadership. Try and understand what's going on. Be a part of what's happening. There's a bigger picture at play. But some of the cool stuff, because the heart of generosity, right? It's giving to people from your resources. It's giving to people of your time. It's remembering what people are going through as individuals. And it's submitting to people who are called to lead. And Stephanus was just like probably the guy who had the bigger house and the church probably met in his home and his family. He influenced what was going on and his family came to Christ and they were influential. Not in a bad way, but just that those are the facts. The thing that's cool or interesting, Fortunatus and Achaicus, those were names that were usually given to servants, to slaves. So you've got an influential, probably wealthy landowner, homeowner, and two people who were quite likely, from the stuff that I was reading, his servants before Jesus. 
Because you see, one of the things that we're trying to do is, is become like who is discipling us, and that's Jesus. And so they look to these people, not because of the position or their past, because there's nothing in those things that say we ought to do this thing. This is the decision of a generous heart to let them do the role that God has called them to do. And I think those are all things that represent uh, who God is and how he's designed the church to function. Now we've got to go back and visit those verses that seemed like they just didn't fit. Verse 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let everything that you do be done in love. So the conversation shifts and then he goes back to it. The part that's so strange is the, the words that he's using here. He's talking in a, in a place that people would recognize to be language that sounds like soldiers talking. Be watchful in the Greek, Gregoreo. Gregoreo. Give strict attention. Be cautious, be active. You know the stories, maybe you've seen the castle walls and there's somebody perched up on the wall and they're looking out over the, they're looking at all of the roads and they're looking at everything in between. They're paying attention to what's out there because they are going to spot danger before it comes to the door. Be watchful. We're talking about loving people and meeting their needs and serving What are we watching for? We're watching for things that will interrupt the thing that Jesus is doing to our heart. Be watchful. What's happening in the world that's going to distract you from living on mission? We we live in in a time that is so contentious. People are dividing over everything. And it's no longer just a disagreement of 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 opinions about it's just like if you don't think just like me you're my enemy and what in the world is happening to the world that we're living in be watchful understand what's going on recognize where the threats are so that you can do something about it first peter kind of mirrors this be alert and of sober mind your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour this, this isn't just a new thought that Paul came up with in 1 Corinthians. It's a biblical kind of an idea to pay attention to the, the adversary because we have someone who hates us and it's not another person who thinks differently than us. We have an enemy who is actually named the adversary, the accuser. Going back to verse 13. Be watchful, Gregorio. Stand firm, Stako. Stako. Hold the line. Right? If you are into mixed martial arts or anything like that, one of the things they talk about is your base. Right? They want you to have a wide base because if you're going to deal with an oncoming threat, you need to be ready to stand firm. Are you prepared to engage a culture that thinks you believe a fairy tale. 
who want to talk about biblical truth and say that it's hate speech? Are you, are you ready to stand firm in the faith because you know what you believe? You know, there's a lot of times that, that God's people uh, hear a conversation that's happening or a situation that is darkness and light desperately needs to be shined on it, but because I'm not sure what to say or how to explain it or I can't really articulate it, and I don't know Mike Tuttle's phone number, so I'm going to just stay silent. Stayco. Stand firm in the faith. What do you believe and why do you believe it? That's on you. Be prepared in season and out of season to give an answer for the hope that you have. We have to be watchful, recognize the threats. We have to be prepared to interact with a world that's lost its ever-loving mind and bring them the truth of the gospel. And then one of my favorite, favorite portions... A drizzle mile. I like saying that. A drizzle mile. It just sounds, I don't know, tough. A drizzle mile. What is that? Again, it's, it's military talk. It is on the day of battle, when you stand, will you stay? Will, will you engage or will you see it coming and run? Will you keep your mouth shut because I'm not sure what to say and I'm just going to let this stand? I'm going to let light not be shed on the occasion. I'm going to just keep my mouth shut. A drizomayo means a showing of a man to be brave. It's not tough talk. It's Stand and fight. And are we willing to give apologio, a defense of the gospel? Are, are we willing to do that? Not to win an argument, wrong motive, but the end story of people who don't know Jesus is hell. Well, what are you going to do about it? You have good news. Stay and go through the uncomfortable conversation. Stay and engage people who oppose what you believe because they don't know that it's believable. Talk to them. Trust that the Holy Spirit is going to give you words like Jesus said he would. And be engaged. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while. Let, let's, let's draw a line through that, because that's, that's not, I don't like that. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. You see, that's how God grows his children. You had to build a muscle, you put it under stress. You tear it down a little bit, and it comes back stronger. That's what Peter was talking about. That's what Paul is talking about, that engaging in this apologia, this defense of the gospel, helps you stand firm. 
I don't, part of it is you stepped out and the Holy Spirit did what Jesus said he was going to do and you were participating in this conversation and this person who thought you were nuts is now going, huh, I don't know what to do with that. We'll sit with it. We'll talk again. And you leave thinking, what just happened? Jesus did what he said he was going to. And you're going to believe him a little bit. You're going to engage a little quicker. You're going to be a little more prepared because you've been a part of the mission. And man, it feels good to be used for what you were built to do. And then he switches back in verse 14. Let everything, let all that you do be done in love. Jesus said it this way in John 14 or 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by remembering all the stories, telling of the time when Jesus did the thing and he rose the... And that's not the this. What's the this? By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, I'm not talking about the touchy-feely world that says God is love, so love is God. God is justice. God is way bigger than any box you want to paint. And there is a reckoning. Sin has to be dealt with. And if we just paint a picture of God as this grandfather on the throne that wants to hug everybody at the end, we are letting the devil win with a lie. So we have to tell the truth of who God is, but when we love one another and look like him by stepping out and meeting needs and, and leaning in and making time and, and remembering what people talk about, the prayer request, and you follow up. Have you ever done that? Somebody says, pray for me about X, Y, Z, and then the next time you see them, you ask how it went, and their whole height. I didn't, I didn't think you... You remembered. Yeah, people care when you show that you care. And we change the world by living on mission. You remember our definition of a disciple? Matthew 4.19. Matthew 4.19 says, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And so definition of a disciple is someone who is follow following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus. How does generosity happen? When you get out your checkbook, no, man, that's not what we're talking about. Keep your money. What are we talking about? We're talking about your heart change. I love teaching first step, and one of the things I tell them about some of what we read in Scripture, best news, you don't have to go to hell if you don't want to. Best news ever. Jesus made a way. What's the second best news? To me is I'm not going to fix things by trying to be a better boy. Me trying harder doesn't cut it. Jesus said, follow me and I will make. See, that takes the pressure off of me and my performance and my 
bad set of circumstances or my bad mood or whatever, it takes this, the, the, the weight of making me better and it gives it to Jesus who asked for it and he said, I will make. And he'll change your hearts if we follow. You see, that's, that's where we are. As we remember what Jesus has done for us, our response is important. To, to submit to what he has done, to uh, meet him in baptism, all of those things are important. But friends, remember all of the work is done by Jesus. What do I have to do? Follow. What about when it's hard? What about when I don't know what to do next? What about when I'm afraid and and I need help? Look around. You've got help. Follow. And Jesus will change your heart. And the more you follow the more you're changed. The more you're changed, the more you're committed to the mission and it matters most. And you're willing to sacrifice for it. You're willing to turn off the television to do it. You're willing to, to, to love on that person who is not as lovable as you'd wish they were so that you can invest in them for the kingdom. Because the mission matters. Why? Because Jesus changed your heart. And so here's the hard question. I've been following for a while, but I don't see the change. I'm still struggling with a lot of the stuff that I've always struggled with. My, my loving response as a pastor is, let's talk about what following looks like to you. Because I don't know that you're following When we follow, Jesus will change. If we don't see any change, it's not because he didn't do his job. It's probably got more to do with, am I following? Because committed to the mission, it just happens when Jesus changes my heart. Each week we come to a time where we remember the Lord has done for us. And we celebrate that, not as a, another portion of our service, but as our opportunity to reflect on why I need Jesus today, present tense. Why do I need Jesus? Because I still struggle with sin. Does that mean I, I, I did a bad thing and I think I'm going to hell? No, Jesus paid my way, but I still struggle with sin and I need him to show me. I need him to change me. I, need, I can't become a better boy with behavior management. I just need to follow. And I don't know about you, but I go back to status quo pretty easy. I have been known to take the path of least resistance sometimes. But following Jesus... That sounds like war talk. 
That sounds like paying attention to your environment and being prepared and, and doing the work, investing the time of getting behind Jesus and walking where he went. Because he's going to change you. That's what he wants to do. That's what we remember when we share communion together. Let's pray and then we'll take the emblems. Father in heaven, we're so shocked that you're mindful of us that you you keep up with us your word says that you, you you like to think about us and we just don't understand but Lord here in this moment we've come to remember and so as we reflect on what you have done for us, Jesus. We also want to ask you to change our thoughts, our desires, our behavior, because we want to look like you. So thank you for what you did on the cross, for resolving the issue that we couldn't resolve on our own, give us strength to walk like you had walked. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. And so each week we take the, the loaf like Jesus took and he looked into the eyes of the men who were in the room and he said, this is my body. And I think it probably meant something different to them than it means to us now because they remembered the time that they'd spent, the things that he had done, the way that he slept, if he snored or he didn't. They, they just remembered who he was because of a relationship. You and I have the same thing. We have a relationship. And so when we take this loaf of bread, we remember that Jesus, fully God, fully man endured a lifetime scorn beating a horrible death because he wanted to solve your problem he wanted what God had created to function like God had created it to function and he said I will Jesus also said that no man takes his life. He lays it down. I think if you're looking for a picture of what masculinity looked like, I would say Jesus. And because he loved you and everyone that's been before us and everyone that will be after us, he laid down his life and his blood Pay the price for my sins and yours. And we remember. Take just a moment and pray.
Father, make us like Jesus. Holy Spirit, give us the strength and the wisdom to follow. Jesus, we pray this in your mighty name.